what to do in our time off. And there are, are bigger choices too, like what career to pursue or where to live, who, whom to date or to marry or whether or not even to marry. Life doesn't just happen. We have to make choices, and those choices have consequences. And that's true spiritually as well. Spiritual life and spiritual blessings don't just happen. They are something we have to choose. Now, we need to be very clear here. This does not take away anything from God's sovereign, unconditional election or total depravity and the necessity, the absolute necessity of regeneration. The Bible clearly teaches these doctrines. And it clearly teaches, too, that, that everlasting life is not something that we earn by our works. It is a gift of grace. It is through faith alone and grace alone, in, in Christ alone. The Bible teaches all of that very clearly. But the Bible just as clearly teaches our responsibility, our spiritual responsibility. And there's always the danger of losing sight of that. There's always the danger of of thinking or hoping or living either as if spiritual life, spiritual blessings will mysteriously just happen or that we can somehow inherit them without an active choice on our part. And that danger is real for all of us, wherever we're at spiritually, even as believers. It is so very easy, especially in our busy lives, to, to, to begin to think that and, and to hope that we'll be okay if maybe, maybe it's okay just to drop a few spiritual disciplines like reading our Bible, like praying and attending public worship. We think or we live as if spiritual life and spiritual blessings are something that just happen. And so we live without a spiritual focus, without a spiritual vision, and without spiritual ambition. Oh, beloved, this reality, this danger, this, this struggle is also why God so graciously puts us in a church under the oversight of godly elders who, who themselves can struggle with this too. And, and who can come alongside us and, and bring God's word to bear in our lives. Elders are not the policemen of the church. They are the pastors, the shepherds of the church under Christ who want to help you and me. Also, in this coming season of, of home visits, not merely to, to spiritually survive, but to spiritually thrive. And that that was Moses' desire for the people of Israel. In our text, Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, Moses, you see, sets a choice before the people of Israel, a choice of life or death. And if you do not yet have your Bibles open, I invite you to turn with me to our text and and read it together, together. Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. Moses is speaking here. And he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, 
and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Do you see his desire here, congregation? Moses knows very well that spiritual life, spiritual blessings do not just happen. Israel must make a choice. And so out of deep concern for them, he sets this choice, a choice of life or death, blessing or cursing, before them. In congregation, the same choice is set before us, life or death. And the lesson we hope to learn from our text is this, that the choice of life or death urges us all to intentionally and faithfully love and serve God by faith in Christ Jesus. As already mentioned in the bulletin, this sermon is also in connection with the new home visit season starting up, as this is the text that the elders have chosen to be the theme. So with God's help, then let's listen and learn from our text under the theme, the choice set before you, life or death. We will consider three thoughts. First, the solemnity of this choice. Secondly, the appeal with this choice. And third, the gospel in this choice. The choice set before you, life or death, its solemnity, the appeal with it, and the gospel in it. Well, in the first part of verse 19, Moses says to the people, we just read it, but I'll read it again, I call heaven and earth to record this day or to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. What a solemn choice that is. Imagine being there, children, listening as Moses spoke those words. I, of course, I wasn't there. I don't know for sure, but I kind of think that the congregation would have become very quiet at this point. I mean, it was already a solemn time. Moses, as we learn in the next chapter, is 120 years old. Forty years ago, he had led Israel out of Egypt. And ever since then, Moses had been leading them through the wilderness. And now they were in the plains of Moab, just about to cross finally into the promised land. But Moses, Moses would not go with them. He would soon die. So as they struggle with those last breaths. And you listen carefully, don't you? You would listen and take their last words, their, their parting instructions very seriously. Now, just thinking of this being our, our first Lord's Day together as pastor and congregation, maybe it's hard to recognize or to identify with the solemnity of this choice in our text. But congregation, are we not living in a solemn time? 
Earlier this week, the UN chief told the United Nations General Assembly, our world is in great peril. He's right. But the peril we're in is far greater than what he was referring to. You see, we are living, as Paul tells Timothy, we are living in the last days. When perilous times, Paul writes, shall come. When people are lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, without self-control, fierce or brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. These are the days, congregation, we are living in. We don't have to look that far. And we are living in a time then, in these last days, where at any moment, Jesus Christ may return to this earth to judge the living and the dead. Yes, congregation, we are living in a solemn time, far more solemn even than the time when Moses first spoke those words. And when he set before Israel the choice of life or death. Doesn't that make this choice so serious? Also for you. What have you chosen? Maybe you're thinking, I, I don't need to make that choice because I'm a covenant child. I'm baptized. Or perhaps you think, I, I don't need to worry about that anymore because I made the choice of life already when I became a believer. But we need to notice that not just the solemn timing, but also the solemn occasion in our text. You see, as I mentioned, when we, when we read this passage, it's part of a bigger section that begins in Deuteronomy 29. And Deuteronomy 29 Verse 1 introduces this section with these words. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. The point, congregation, that we need to see here is this. Moses is addressing covenant children in covenant terms. Terms that make so very clear that God's blessings are not automatic. They don't happen. They're not experienced and enjoyed automatically. And beloved, most of the children whom he was speaking to, most of the, the people of Israel that he was speaking to at this time, would or should have known that by painful experience. You know why? Because most of their parents had died in the wilderness because of unbelief and disobedience. Their own painful history reinforced what Moses was saying, that there is a choice set before them. God's blessings are not automatic. And dear congregation, it's the same for us. Young people, children, it's a wonderful privilege, a gracious privilege to be a covenant child have the promises of God but, but it's not enough you must make a choice there is not just covenant promises you see there is a covenant obligation a responsibility 
What will it be for you, life or death? But Deuteronomy 29 makes clear that the choice of life and death is said not only before covenant children, but also before the entire congregation. Moses is speaking, as he says in Deuteronomy 25 several times, he's speaking to all Israel. He's addressing all Israel, and that Israel included. It included faithful believers, faithful men like Caleb and Joshua. The choice of life or death is set even before these men. And dear believer, the same choice is set before you. Not once, you see. It's not a, not a choice that comes to us once, but it's a choice that comes to us continually. And it's not always so easy, is it? It's not easy to resist temptation. It's not easy to choose the way of faith and obedience. It's not always easy to refuse unbelief. It's not easy to be faithful over and over again and refuse to compromise over and over again. But oh, how helpful and how important it is then to remember also the solemn witnesses and the solemn consequences of our choices. And our text very clearly reminds us of this. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to record, or I call them as witnesses today against you. In other words, this choice is set before us in the presence of heaven and earth. Really, that's an expression meaning before all of creation. So we cannot pretend that we did not have a choice or that God hasn't made the choices and their consequences clear. Congregation, he has. He sets before us, he set before Israel clearly a choice between two and only two options, life and blessing as the consequences of love and obedience and loyalty to God or death and cursing as the consequences of hatred and disobedience and rebellion toward God. Do you see the solemnity of this choice? Do you see the solemnity of your choice? In light of that, shouldn't our desire, shouldn't our desire as a congregation be to help each other? to help each other in making the right choice? Shouldn't we be coming alongside one another and encouraging and exhorting one another, as Hebrews 3 says, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God through the deceitfulness of sin. That's not just the elder's job. It's your job. It's my job. And at the same time, how seriously we should take the visits that we do receive from the elders. They are not meant to be merely social visits. They are meant to hear how you're doing. How are you doing with the choice that is set before you? And they are meant to help to lead you in the way of life and of blessing, the way of faith and of godliness. And that is what our text is meant to do too. Moses here isn't content with just setting the choice before the people. He also appeals to them to choose life. This is now our second point, the appeal with this choice. Look again at verses 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice and that thou mayest cleave unto him. 
Moses is appealing to the people. He is urging them to choose the way of life, the way of intentionally and faithfully loving and serving God. It's a beautiful appeal, isn't it? So full of care. Moses pleads with the people, choose life that what? That both thou and thy seed may live. Moses doesn't want them to die. He wants them to live. And what a reflection we see here in our text of God's heart, do we not? The Lord who who doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but that they turn from their evil way and live. Do you see that in this text? Shining out from Moses' words, choose life. It's the heart of God, the God who cares about you and who cares about your children. We're going to see that visibly demonstrated to us in the sacrament of of baptism next week, Lord willing. And congregation, isn't that concern so, so, something to be so thankful for? And to remember also when, when it's true of your elders, when they come out of a concern, a loving concern for you and your children, that you and they might live. And shouldn't, we, shouldn't that concern be something that we, we have for each other, for, for our own children and for ourselves and, and, and for those around us? It's a beautiful appeal. But it's also an appeal that's so sadly needed. I mean, did Moses really need to say that? Children, if you were given the option, if you had to choose between life and death, what would you choose? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? You would choose life. So why does Moses say? Why does he feel he has to say, therefore, choose life? You know why? Because he knows that by nature, we don't. He knows that humanity's choice ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden has consistently been not life and blessing, but death and cursing. Not obedience and love to God, but disobedience and hatred toward God. That's been humanity's choice. That was the choice of the pagan nations around Israel. And that was the choice even of the covenant people of God in the wilderness left to themselves. Their corpses proved it. They had chosen death. And Moses knew that their children were no different left to themselves. Yes, he knew it even about himself too. Because you see, he too had to die outside the promised land because of his sin, because of his disobedience toward God when God had told him to to speak to the rock and instead, in sinful anger, he had whacked it with his rod. Moses knew that his appeal to choose life was so sadly needed. And what do you think, congregation? Do you think we have gotten any better since then? Has anything changed? What does the history of the last century tell you? What do the first 22 years of the 21st century tell you? Know what it tells us. It tells us that humanity's choice left to themselves is death. Just look at, look at all the protests and the battles raging, raging over the recent restrictions on abortions in the U.S. What a vivid demonstration of our choice 
for death. Just, just, just consider the rejection of God and of his word in the public arena. Just consider the, the compromising of the truth that has happened in so many churches over the past years, over really throughout history. Just consider the closing down of so many churches in our own nation. Humanity's choice, beloved, left to ourselves is sin, disobedience, idolatry, and rebellion, all of which lead to death. The appeal to choose life is so sadly needed. Yes, also among us. I ask the question, what do the first 22 years of the 21st century tell us? But maybe we should ask the question, what do the first 22 years of your own life tell you? What do the last two years tell you? What do the last two days tell you? Are there not sins in our lives? But maybe you say, Pastor, I, I don't think I need this appeal. I, I'm doing quite well. Life, life is going good. I, I don't need to hear this appeal to choose life. Well, let's look next at how searching this appeal is. We see this in verse 20 where Moses explains what it means to choose life. And he brings out three things. First, choosing life means loving the Lord your God. To love the Lord your God means, as, as we read earlier too, it means to love Him. It's a call to love Him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's to have a wholehearted, committed affection to Him and to be affectionately committed to Him. There's a, that those, those two parts of love, there's affection and there's wholehearted commitment. How's that going in your life? Do you love Him? Always? Do you always love to spend time with him in prayer and, and reading his word? Are you always devoted to him? Do you, do you always love to come to church to, to worship him and, and, to, and to hear him speaking to us from his word? What evidence of your love for the Lord is in your life? There's a second thing that Moses mentions. Choosing life means obeying his voice. To obey his voice means, as he says earlier in verse 16, it means to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments. Does that describe your life? Does it describe mine? Do, do we always obey what the Lord says? Not, not, not just some of the time, but all of the time, and, and not just some of what he says, but, but all of what he says? Who, whose ways are you concerned about walking in, about, about getting? God's ways or, or yours? What is our obedience to him like in our homes, at our, at our workplaces, at our schools, in, in our rooms, on our computers, with our friends? What does your obedience look like, not just on the outside, but in your heart. And third, choosing life means cleaving to him. The Bible uses this, this word cleave in Genesis 2 to describe how, how a man must cleave unto his wife. Or, or maybe you children, you can think of another illustration. You, you remember the, 
the book of Ruth, a young woman, Ruth. What did she do when, when Naomi told her to go back to Moab? She clung to her. And she said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. And there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death part you and me. Ruth's mind was made up. She was going to stick with Naomi no matter what. Is that the the kind of commitment, the kind of relationship we have with God? Do we cling to Him? Are we determined never to leave Him? Always? Because how does it show in our life that that is true? Well, Well, Moses explains in verse 17, if you back up a few verses, he explains that in his warning that if we're to really cleave to him, then we will not let our hearts be turned away or, or drawn away from him, and we won't worship other gods and serve them. Maybe you say, well, we don't, we don't have other gods. It's true, we, we don't have physical statues or images so much, at least not in our part of the world, but in our circles. But we can still worship other gods. What about the God of reputation? Or the God of popularity? Or the God of wealth? Or the God of pleasure? Or the God of ease and comfort? Isn't it so easy to let ourselves be drawn away from the Lord? Do you see see how searching the appeal to choose life is? But what am I, what are we to do then, you say? Isn't it hopeless? I mean, just hearing this appeal isn't going to change me. It's not going to make me intentionally and faithfully love and serve God. I can't choose life. Don't you see? I've tried, and I've tried, and I've failed. I've tried to love God. I've tried to obey His voice. I've tried to cling to Him, but it hasn't worked. Maybe you even feel that frustrated at God. Maybe you wonder if He really does care for you and your children. Maybe it feels like to you like this is just a game of cat and mouse, where the cat plays with the mouse, pretends that... that he can get away, that the, that the mouse can do something, that the mouse can choose life if he's just quick enough and if he's just smart enough or if he just tries hard enough, but all the while the mouse's doom is sealed. Maybe it feels to you like that is what God is doing to you. But is he? What is God doing by setting this choice of life or death before us and by appealing to us to choose life? What is he doing by showing us what that looks like in such a way that we see our failures and our depravity and our inability? Do you know what he's doing? He's making room for himself. He's making room for the gospel. And so we see this now in our third point, the gospel in this choice. And here we want to look especially at the end of verse 20 where where Moses says these words, for he... The Lord is thy life 
and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. O congregation, these words are so full of gospel, gospel provision and gospel promise. Do you see that with me? For, for, for he is thy life, Moses says, and the length of thy days. Moses is not telling the people, go get your act together. He knows, he knows very well from 40 years in the wilderness that that is hopeless. And we greatly, congregation, we greatly misunderstand the Old Testament if we think that that's what he's saying. As if in the Old Testament, as if the, the way of salvation changes, as if when you flip from Malachi unto Ma, to, to Matthew, that all of a sudden it changes from salvation by works to salvation by grace. No, no, no. God's saving work is the same back now as it was then. It has always been by grace. It has to be by grace. Life and blessing has never come, and it never will come by us cleaning up our lives. It comes by him who is our life. Moses is telling the people that the way to choose life is not by looking inside to find life. It's not by looking to your works or to your law-keeping to produce life in you. No, it's by looking to, by going to God. Go to the God, Moses is saying, who brought you out of Egypt and who brought you to himself and who promised to be your God and the God of your children in fulfillment of his covenant promises. Go to the God who through your wilderness journeys provided manna and water from the rock for you in the wilderness so that you would see and understand that he, the Lord your God, is your life. Go to him. Yes, Moses was saying, go to him the one who commanded us to make this tabernacle and to make the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat that signified his gracious presence in our midst and go to him who commanded us to offer all these bloody sacrifices and to keep those feast days so that you would see and understand that he, the Lord your God, is your life. Go to him then, confessing your sin confessing your inability, confessing your depravity. Go to him and put all your hope in him. That's what Moses was saying to the people. And that's what he's saying to us still today. Because Moses, you see, Moses was one of those prophets who gave witness to Jesus that whoever believes in him shall receive for the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life through his name. Dear congregation, the words here in verse 20 are still true today. He is thy life. And they have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ who said of himself to his disciples in John 14, verse 6, I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And who said of himself to Martha in John 11, verses 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, Yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
Do you see the gospel provision in these words? Jesus Christ is our life and the length of our days. Yes, the never-ending length of our days. Oh, then have you made that great choice to go to him, to trust in him? Have you believed in him, children, young people, parents, older ones? Why would you not? Why would you choose death when he offers himself tonight to be your life? You see, that's what happens. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he applies his life to you, his perfect life, the life of of perfect love to God, of perfect obedience to his voice, of perfect loyalty cleaving To God, he applies his life to you. A life without a single sin. And he says to you, as it were, when you believe in Jesus Christ, not only that his life has been applied to you, but that your life has been applied to him. He says, as it were, your life, with all its sins, with all its wickedness, with all the sinful choices you have made that make you worthy of death, and, and the curse is applied to me. I took your curse. I took your sin on myself when I died on the cross for you. Yes, and I also, he, he, as it were, goes on to say, by my death, won the right from my Father. My Father who chooses sinners in Christ before the foundation of the world and who also chose you I won the right from him to give you the Holy Spirit in order to make you willing and able by his gracious work of regeneration in your life to choose me. The Lord is thy life from start to finish. Oh, what a rich gospel provision. And what a transformation that provision brings to your own life. You see, when Christ is your life by faith in him, then then your whole life changes. Paul speaks of it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Lord renews us in Christ by his spirit, and he makes us then able and willing to love the Lord our God. He makes us able and willing to obey his voice and to cleave to him. You see, congregation, the Lord Jesus is our life, not only because he fulfilled the law in our place, but also because he enables us by his spirit, the spirit of life, to live for him. And in that sense, also to choose life and blessing. Oh, we don't do it perfectly. We never will, the sight of heaven. But the Lord, who is our life, never gives up. By grace, he perseveres in his renewing and sanctifying work. Sometimes it seems to us slowly, but always surely, so that more and more we grow in intentionally and faithfully loving and serving God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's true not just of some Christians, but of every Christian. So is it true of you? 
Maybe you say, I see so little of it in my life. Well, don't let that discourage you. But remember, as as our Heidelberg Catechism confesses in Lord's Day 44, that even the holiest men have only a small beginning of this obedience. Yet, so that with a sincere resolution, they begin to live, not only according to some, but all the commandments of God. And remember that your life is not in yourself, but it's in Christ. Rest in Him and pray to Him. Let your lack that you lament in yourself, let it drive you to Him, to the throne of grace, where we may find mercy and grace to, to, to help in time of need. And also remember the comfort of the gospel promise that is also here in our text. The Lord is thy life and the length of thy days, Moses says, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. That's the promise. And it's a promise connected to the provision. It's because the provision, provision is sure, not because your walk is sure, not because you are so perfect, but it's because the provision given in Christ is so sure that the promise is sure. You, you see that even in the beginning of, uh, of Deuteronomy 30, where, where we read that Moses addresses the the occasion of their having disobeyed and having been expelled, exiled from the land, that when they turn to the Lord God again, the Lord will bring them back. He is faithful to his promise. And that promise, congregation, yes, for Israel referred to the land of Canaan. But for us, it points us ultimately to the land, to the eternal land of blessing, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. And congregation, that, that is the great comfort to all who are in Christ, for all who with all their struggles and with all their shortcomings still, by grace are intentionally and trying, seeking, faithfully loving to love and serve God, not looking to themselves, but looking to Christ by faith in Him. That is the comfort that they may look forward to. That one day the battle will be done and the rest will be theirs and they will have life. Life with the triune God. Life that will never end. In a few moments, you will go into a week where you you will have to make many choices. But tonight, right now, the most important choice of your life is set before you. Life or death. Blessing or cursing. What's your choice? Choose life. Choose Christ. Amen.